starting in chapter 5, Paul starts addressing all of these very specific issues that the Corinthian church has. And it's uh, this whole gamut of issues. Um, incest, marriage, spiritual gifts, women in ministry, all of it. So the incest one's going to be great. That's next week. Bring your friends. So we're going to... that. Uh, in order for him to get into that, in the first four chapters, what he's doing is establishing or re, trying to reestablish his authority in the church. He's lost influence with them because in their mind, he's not a very spiritual guy. And so they're either aligning themselves with other Christian leaders, which is okay, but many of them are aligning themselves with people who are not, it's not good. And that's what we looked at last week. And he comes after those guys pretty hard. He says, not only is this building that you're building not going to make it through judgment it's all going to burn you yourselves are at risk as well because you're destroying the body of christ and so in chapter four paul is defending himself and his ministry not for the sake of defending himself but for the sake of trying to reestablish authority in this church that he started so he can then begin to address all of these specific issues moving forward so we'll pick up in verse one So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. So think of a steward, someone who's been put over the affairs of someone else. That's kind of that idea of being entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, in which we've said before, that's Christ crucified. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, it's required that a steward must prove faithful. The standard of judgment or evaluation for a steward is, were you faithful to your master, yes or no? I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Maybe another way of saying it is that I couldn't care less if y'all judge me. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So what he's saying is because I'm a steward of the mysteries of God, God is the master. He's given me certain things that I'm in charge of, this gospel, this message of Christ crucified. It doesn't matter how y'all perceive that it doesn't matter what your evaluation of me is because i'm not your steward i'm his and it really doesn't even matter how i feel about myself i think i've done okay my conscience is clear but that doesn't even matter because ultimately the only one who can judge a steward is the master therefore judge nothing before the appointed time wait until the lord comes again he's the master so when he comes back he's going to judge everything he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. So he's going to cut not just at what we've done, but why we've done what we've done. Kind of there's an implicit warning, I guess, there against hypocrisy. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Last week we talked about this idea of rewards and not knowing exactly what those rewards are. Here you see a, a, a picture of that. One of the rewards is praise from God. I don't know what that looks like, but if you can imagine the God of the universe telling you you did a good job, somehow praising you for what you've done, with what he's given you, that's a picture of, at least a partial picture of the reward. I want to pause here on this idea of stewardship, and then we'll move on. If you've been in a church circle for a long time, you've probably heard the concept of steward almost always tied into your money and uh, being a steward of your money, which means giving the church some of your money. Usually that's the way that whole thing works, and there's truth there. We do need to steward our money well, but I think there's a broader picture. Um, I'm jetting. I have a soccer game I've got to be at at 1.30, so I'm not going to have time to eat. So let's say I give you $10. I need you to go to Marietta Pizza, fries, pepperoni pizza, sweet tea. That's what I want for my lunch. So I give you the money, 
and I ask you to go get it, and you say, sure. And you walk out the door, and you start walking up the street, and you say, that's not really a heart-healthy meal. Who eats fries and pizza, first of all? And fries, that's like on the top 12 deadly foods that you're supposed to eat. I think those and donuts are the two worst things that you can eat. And maybe you say, you know what? He's not as young as he used to be, getting a little thick around the midsection. I think it's a company salad with grilled chicken and water. That's what I'm going to do. So you go up, and instead of buying what I asked you to buy, you get the grilled company salad with grilled chicken and water and bring it back. Were you a good steward? No. You were a terrible steward. It was my money, and I told you what to do with it. And if you didn't want to do that with it, then you should have said no. But once you said yes to what I I asked you to do with my money, then the only standard of evaluation is, were you faithful? Did you do what I asked you to do? You may say, well, I was a great friend, and maybe so, but you were a terrible steward because you didn't do what I asked you to do with what I gave you. That's, again, the only standard of judgment or evaluation. Doing what the master or the owner says. We're going to get into some of this stuff. We'll read what happens with Paul. He has a very difficult life once he says yes to Jesus. There's lots of difficulties, lots of obstacles, lots of suffering that he undergoes. And there's a sense, and this sounds harsh, which it does, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is, were you faithful, yes or no? It doesn't matter how difficult it was. The, all the owner wants to know is, well, did you do what I asked you to do? Kind of the classic picture of that is in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the talents. Many of you have heard that. There's a master. He says he goes away for a long period of time. That's implicit in all of this idea of stewardship is the master's not around. It's one thing if the master's actually right here looking over our shoulder, but he's not. Jesus ascended into heaven in 33 AD or whenever that was, and he's coming back at some point in the future, and we live in this interim, and we don't know when he's going to return. So that takes some of the pressure off in terms of stewardship. It's different. You know how you, you work differently when your boss is looking over your shoulder than when he or she is not. And so we have this idea the boss is not looking over our shoulder. The master has left and gone on a journey. We don't know when he's going to return. And he says he has three servants, and he gives one $50,000 and one $20,000 and one $10,000 or something like that. And he comes back at some undetermined point in the future and says, what did you do with what I gave you? This point in time, it's pretty easy to make money on your money. Jews weren't allowed to charge interest to other Jews, but there was this entire kind of shadow economy where you could up to 50% interest was not uncommon. So it's pretty easy to, to earn money on money. And the guy that had $50,000 said, I got, I got 100000 and the master says, that's great. Well done, enter into your master's happiness, kind of here's your reward. The guy who had 20, doubled it, here's 40, well done, enter into your master's happiness, here's your reward. The guy who had 10 said, you're a fraud. You're a mean guy. You put in money, you take out money that you didn't put in, and so I just buried it, which according to the rabbis was the safest place to put money. Put it in the ground, safest thing you can do. And what the master says is, well, if you knew I was that kind of guy, if you knew I was the kind that put that took out what I didn't put in, then what in the world would make you think I'd be happy with you burying my money? You should have done something with it. And he takes the 10000 away from him, gives it to one of the guys who had done well, and he kind of throws this servant out of think says where there's weeping of gnashing of teeth or something like that. So the picture there of stewardship is God gives us things. He's gone for a long period of time. 
coming back at some indeterminate point in the future, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And the standard of evaluation is, were you faithful? Not was it hard, were you faithful? You have, if you have an outline, there's a question there that I want you to write down your answer to. If you don't have an outline, then you'll have to think of the answer in your head. There should be pins in the seats. This is what I want you to do. Three things if you want to be a steward. The first thing is you have to know what you've been given. And to me, it's helpful to think in terms of specifics, not generalities, not God has given me money. I actually think that's a tough one because we all earn our money. I don't think any of us believe our boss just gives us a gift. We know that we earn that, and I think that's where some of the rub comes in with the Lord that kind of gets back to this whole idea of he's created everything, and so it's all his. But to me, it's helpful not to say God's given me money. He's given me $60,000 a year or $5,000 a month or $2,500 a paycheck, however your budget brain works. That, to me, is helpful. God's given time. Not just to say that, but how much time? You may say, well, I've got work, I've got sleep. And so in your world, you might only have a little bit that you'd say is unallocated. Or maybe you think in terms of 24 hours or a week or a month or a year. I don't know how, again, how that works in your brain. God's given you relationships. I would say think specifically, not just in generality. Some of you are parents. So I would say your children, that they're on the list. People that the Lord has given you. Opportunities, and I would list those. Some of you in your business. Think specifically about what God has given you and write those things down now. I'm not going to take that up, but I want you to write it down. If you don't have anything to write, pretend I was going to call on you and you had to have an answer. You can keep writing. I'm going to keep talking. Second thing, you don't just need to know what you have in particular. That's very important. But you also have to know what the master or the owner wants you to do with it. Otherwise, the best you can hope for is to get lucky. If I gave you some money and said, go get me lunch, then you can do whatever you want as long as you bring back food. If I say, this are the, these are the specific things I want, then you have to obey specifically in order to be faithful. So however general our understanding is of what God is doing that kind of determines what we think faithfulness is and so it's important for us i think to be as specific as possible god what do you want from what are you doing in this situation again some of you who are parents do you have any idea what god is doing in your family or in the lives of your children yes or no so in your work do you have any idea what god is doing in your office on your floor in your industry in our city in the PTA, on the soccer team, wherever it is that you happen to find yourself, do you, do you know? And I don't mean that with any type of, not, not demeaning at all. I think most of us, don't, we don't even think about it. That's just not the way we're wired to say, God, what are you doing in this particular setting? We might think that here in this room because this is church. But once we leave here, do you ever ask, God, what are you doing in this particular 
place or in this particular set of relationships? If you don't know the answer to that question, it's going to be very difficult for you to be a good steward. And before you say, some of you who might be slackers, who say, well, listen, well, if I don't know, then that gets me off the hook. It actually doesn't get you off the hook. He's still going to ask you to be faithful. You just don't know what you're being faithful to. So it actually makes it more difficult for you. So push in to try to ask, God, what is it? That you don't have to do everything at once. Pick an area. Pick a person. Pick a relationship. Some area of your life and begin to ask God, what are you doing here specifically? And then ask yourself, what does it look like for me to be faithful to that? Whatever, however that happens to play out. And again, if there's 150 people in the room, there's 150 different ways that can play out. But I want I, you can hear the Lord. You know that. You just need to begin to ask him those questions. And then again, align whatever he's given you accordingly. Last thing. This is, to me, the trickiest part. We need to decouple, detach our obedience to the results. So for we're raised, and I think it's actually good and right, most of us are raised to say what you put in is what you're going to get out. You're struggling in math, study harder. You can't hit a curveball, go to the batting cage. Get, you know, given some... Natural aptitude, yes, but in general, the harder you work at something, the better the results are going to be. It's, that's, what, that's what we believe, and that's what we teach our kids, and it's what we tell other people. Just work harder at it. Practice more, study harder, whatever. You take care of the preparation, the results will take care of themselves. I don't think that's true in the kingdom. There's a, what Paul says is, You've got your faithfulness as a steward, and he links it over here to a reward when Jesus comes back. He skips over the result portion. If there's your obedience or faithfulness, the results of your obedience or faithfulness, and then the reward that you will receive when Jesus comes back, Paul says what you're doing, your faithfulness, your as a steward, how well you're graded as a steward, that ties directly over here to your reward when Jesus comes back. He doesn't tie it in to the results. So, for instance, we're going to take communion here in a minute, and one of the things we do with communion is we offer an opportunity for people to be prayed for who are physically sick. The first time we did it, a guy named J.D. came forward. Many of y'all know him, J.D. Walker. He came forward, and he had the sniffles. And so me, and I can't remember who my partner was, we prayed for him with the sniffles, and he got the flu. And his wife got the flu, and one of his daughters got the flu. He was sick for a month. He hadn't been back since. No, that's not true. So that was our initial experience, praying for him for healing. It didn't work out the way any of us wanted it to work out for whatever reason. So that, to me, that's tying my faithfulness to God directly to the results. My praying, my level of faith, the mood lighting in the room, whatever you want to say, tied directly to whether J.D.'s still sniffling or not. Again, obviously the results were not good. What Paul says is you don't don't look at that. What you need to do is say your faithfulness in praying, you took it, God says you can pray for people to be healed. He's given us his Holy Spirit. By Jesus' wounds we're healed. We have gifts of healing. All of that stuff is all things we've been given. And this is, hopefully it's not me just justifying. What Paul says is you did okay. You took a shot. You prayed 
the only prayer that you knew how to pray, that's going to be tied to this reward when Jesus comes back, whatever it happens to be. I get a, an attaboy or a pat on the back or whatever, praise from God. Don't worry about the result in the middle because that's not a one-to-one correlation. There's dozens of reasons why J.D. may or may not, or was not, why he was not healed. You just pick one. It, it doesn't matter in a sense that we're not going to be able to figure that out. That's something we each individually need to come to terms with on our own. You need to figure out how you're going to react when God doesn't do what you think he should. And you can settle that in your own heart, absolutely. But that you don't want to connect that issue with faithful stewardship issues. What's going to happen if you do, if you keep results and your faithfulness coupled together, then when things don't work the way you think they're going to work, you're going to get disappointed. You're going to blame yourself or God or the other person, and it's going to cause you to step back. It's actually going to wind up making you a poor steward. You're going to be gun-shy about investing what God has given you because what if it doesn't work out the way it should? And so for me, it would be, well, I'm just going to sit on the front row this time instead of asking, instead of praying for somebody because who knows what they're going to get if I pray for them. And now I'll see if any of you actually come forward for prayer or not. So do you see what I'm, you see how that works? You've got to know what you've been given, I think, in specifics. I think you need to know specifically what God has given you. I think you need to know what he wants you to do in those particular situations. What, what are the, what's, the, what, what's the directions of the master? Both of those things we need to know. And then just moving forward, do your best to decouple your faithfulness, your performance, if I can use that word, as a steward from the results of what happens. If you can do that in your heart, it will free you up, I think, to be faithful in a new and uh, joyful way, not in this trembling what's going to happen if it doesn't work out kind of way. Verse 6, now brothers, I've applied these things, this idea of stewardship, being a builder from last week, being a gardener to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. So he's referring probably to the scriptures he's quoted in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. I want you to live by those. Then you will not take pride. You won't get puffed up in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? God. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? I think he's referring to spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were obsessed with spiritual gifts, especially the gift of tongues. And people who had it, were elevated, people who didn't were demeaned. And I think what Paul is saying is, y'all are choosing to brag about something that you don't have, that's a gift that's been given to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, the Holy Spirit distributes gifts as he determines. So if he determines who gets what, how can you make that an issue of judgment or boasting? It doesn't make any sense. All of those things have been given freely. Already, this is full of sarcasm here. Already you have all you want. He's saying already you're full, you've eaten everything you want ties back into that idea we looked at last week about milk and solid food. Already you've become rich, that you've received every gift. You've become kings. You've already begun to reign, and that without us. We don't have a part in what you're doing. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you because this is what's happening for us. You guys think you've made it. You're on this kind of spiritual high, think you all have everything. You've, You've arrived, and this is what we're experiencing because it seems to me 
that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle for the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. When a Roman uh, army, when they were victorious, they would parade back into the city. At the end of that procession were POWs who would all be sent into the arena, and they would, you know, they would have to fight wild animals and one another. It was just the gladiator game type stuff. There's an 18,000-seat arena in Corinth, and so that's the picture. We're at the back of the line. We're a spectacle. God's making us your entertainment. Our suffering, even our death, is y'all's entertainment because y'all are kings and y'all have arrived. We're fools for Christ, but you're wise in Christ. Again, all of this is sarcastic. We're weak, but you're strong. You're honored. We're dishonored to this very hour. We go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands, which was looked down upon. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we've become the scum of the earth. We're, we're the stuff that you wash off of yourself in the bath. We're the refuse of the world. We're what you're scrubbing off the floor when you're sweeping it. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, think of a, like of a nanny, someone who took kids to school and kind of oversaw their general welfare. But you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Remember, Paul planted the church. They heard the gospel first through him. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, not to mimic me, but to watch what I'm doing, to internalize my thoughts, my values, my behavior, so then you can do what I'm doing. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. There's that idea of being faithful again, stewardship. He, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. That's actually ways of life, my behavior and my teaching, which agree with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant. You've become puffed up as if I were not coming to you but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's not a matter of eloquence, of fancy speeches, of persuasion. It's a matter of change, the lives. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? And then he moves into some specific things uh, that he's speaking to them about. I want to close with this. In verse 16, Paul says, imitate me, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Excuse me. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We could look at that and say, that guy, I'm pretty arrogant. I mean, have you ever told somebody that? Just do what I do, imitate me. And that's what he's saying to them. But if the, if the deal for us is to become as much like Jesus as possible, what Paul is saying is, we want to become as much like Jesus as possible. The places where I've become more like Jesus, if you, you become more like me, because that means you're becoming more like Jesus as well. On that sheet that I gave you, there's a, there's a space at the bottom, and it says, I want you to tell me, and I want you to do this right now, three areas where you could say that to somebody else. I know many of you, if I said, tell me the areas where you're missing it. Tell me the areas where you're not imitating Jesus. You could write 20 off the top of your head. But to actually say, there, these are three areas where I could, with a straight face, look someone in the eye and say, listen, you can follow me in this. You can follow my example in this situation. You've got them, I believe. There are those areas. We just are not aware of them. And I want you to grab them. 
So I want you to write down on that thing. If you don't have a sheet of paper, you just pretend I'm going to call on you. So you have to have specific, maybe I will. So you have to have specific things in your mind. Give me three areas where you, where you could say, yeah, you can follow me in this. Maybe it's in forgiving your enemies. Maybe it's in not worrying. Maybe it's in praying for people to be healed. Maybe it's in spreading the gospel. Maybe it's, you know, I, I don't know, three areas where you could say, this is something I've got. Integrating your faith in your work. Being intentional with your family and prioritizing investments. I don't know. Three areas where you could say, imitate me. Go ahead. I want you to write one where you would say, I need somebody to show me. Most of what we do is not, it's not innate. We're not, you're not born knowing how to be a good husband. When you have a kid, you don't suddenly become a good mom. Nobody's born knowing how to balance a checkbook. All of that type of stuff, we have to learn. So tell me, where's an area where you would say, I need somebody to show me how to do this in a righteous or godly way. Could be a skill, relationship, heart condition. Just one. So this is what I want to see form from us as a body. I'm calling it a culture of mentorship. I'm not sure that's actually a word, but that's kind of what I want to see. Hebrews 10.24 says, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And one of the ways we do that is by our example. So there's two things that we need to know. We need to know where our example is good, where I can say to you, you can follow me in this. I've been down this road. God has done some work in me, in us. This is an area where where I can say, yeah, follow me. If you follow me, you're going to be okay. And we need to know that. And you need, I want you to be able to stand up here and confidently say, you can follow me in this. Not with any sense of arrogance like you've arrived, but with a true sense of humility, which is thinking rightly of yourself. Recognizing God has been forming you and molding you and shaping you and teaching you and working in you. And it's not all of that's not just for you. It's so you can turn around to somebody else and say, hey, come on. Some of you are newlyweds. Again, you're not, just because you say I do does not know does not mean you suddenly become great at being a husband and a wife. It usually just means you fight more. So, hook up with someone who's been married longer, and they can help you. We have some people who do that, and we can have more. But there's a stigma. People say, well, if I ask for help, then people are going to think we're going to get a divorce, or we're, you know, that somehow I think this is stereotype for guys. We're unwilling to ask for help because we're supposed to be able to figure it out on our own, and we kind of slog through years of that, trying to figure it out on our own, when all you have to do is raise your hand and say, a little help over here. 
and we can put you together with someone who can walk you through it. You don't need therapy and counseling and all of that. You just need to see someone who's actually done it well. That's it. Again, parenting. Just because you have a kid doesn't mean they don't come with instructions. And you, we need people who've done it before. There's a, there's a group that meets on Wednesdays, and young moms who meet, and there's a lady named Patty Ebel who's raised three wonderful children. And we need that dynamic of someone who's raised three kids to say to those of us who are struggling through it, it's going to be okay. And here's a little wisdom that I've learned along the way. And what we want to do, again, is create that culture where there's no stigma involved in saying, I need help in this area. Nobody has it all together. That's why we're a body. If you don't need help, then you need help. We all do. That's why we're part of a body. That's why God does us collectively. And so we want to be able to say, hey, these are some areas where I need to learn how to grow. And at the same time, these are some areas where I can help someone else. You want to figure out how to integrate your faith with your work? Call Brandon. He's kind of worked through a lot of that stuff. He's not perfect, but he's worked through a lot of that, and he can get you on a ramp a lot faster than maybe you could trying to find it out on your own. You, you, you see that. So I don't want you to give me your sheets, but I do want you to tell me. I want this from you, not now, but this week. I want emails from you, and I want you to tell me what you're good at. I want you to tell me the areas where you could stand up here on Sunday and say, this is an area where I could say, yeah, imitate me. And if you think it's silly, I don't care. I want to know. Whatever it is. I'm not going to ask you to stand up here probably, but I do want you to tell me. And then I also want you to tell me the areas where you need somebody to show you something. And we'll see if we can, we can begin to put some of these things together. I don't know how else to do it other than to try to put things together. And if you don't click with somebody, you don't click and we'll, we'll figure it out. But that's what I want from you based on that. Tell me the areas. And maybe you wrote three and there's only one that you really feel good about. And that's okay. Just let me know where you can say, listen, follow me in this. And where you need somebody to lead the way from you. You're in the weeds and you need somebody to help you uh, navigate through. And if, again, we can try to create this culture. This, it's body life. Giving and receiving. And we both are supposed to do both of, thing, both of those things. When Jesus sent out the twelve, said, freely you've received. Now freely you should give. And that's that we want that dynamic of giving and receiving with one another. Okay, let, let's pray and then we're going to take communion. Lord, my prayer around this stuff. One is that we would be good stewards of everything you've entrusted to us. Everything you've given us, whether it's tangible or intangible. That when you come back and you say, what did you do with what I gave you? We'd have something to show, and it wouldn't be wood and hay and straw. It would be gold and silver and costly stones. So if there's any area of our life that we're maybe we're, we're owning in some way, I pray you bring conviction there. If there's an area of our life where we want to be good stewards, we honestly just don't have any idea what you're doing and what that's supposed to look like. Lord, I pray that you would speak with some clarity to us in these few minutes. And God, if we're allowing, if we've got too much focus on the results of our faithfulness versus just our faithfulness, 
God, I pray you'd help us with that. I know that for some, there's a deep wound there. Taking a risk and it totally blowing up. Much more significant than somebody with the sniffles getting the flu. And God, if that wound is preventing us from trusting you, from being a good steward, would you bring healing there so that we can trust you again? God, one issue in Stuart, one of the reasons that you give us stuff is so that we can turn around and give those things to others. And so an aspect of stewardship is, this, is mentoring others. That's stewarding well the experiences that you've given to us and the knowledge and the revelation that you've given to us. So, Lord, I pray here among this church that we would begin to connect life on life. People who need help and people who can give help. Connecting. And in those relationships, we would see one another becoming more and more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to close with communion, the way we take communion here at Stonebridge. You'll come forward, usually a row at a time is the easiest thing to do. Break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. There's gluten-free bread up here on these chairs if you want. Um, We're going to do something that we have not done before. Uh, We're usually, uh, surprise, surprise, rather um, relaxed with the way we take communion. I'm trying to add a little more formality to what we're doing. We actually have a prayer that we're going to read together. It's a prayer of confession. Um, the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what we want to do is we're going to read this prayer together in a minute. I know it can be difficult to engage your heart while you're reading, and so we'll take a couple of seconds at the end um, to personalize. And then I want you to come forward knowing your sins have been forgiven. Anything that you've confessed, anything that would um, hinder your relationship with the Lord has been taken care of. And as you come forward... This bread and juice is a tangible sign of the fact that you have indeed been forgiven. We're going to have ministry teams in the corners. Uh, We'll pray for you about anything, uh, including physical healing. We'd love to do that. If you're brave, you can come over and pray for me or pray with me, and we'll see what happens for you uh, when you do that. But we'll have ministry teams in the corners, and we would love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. So you guys can stand, and I want us to pray this prayer together. It's It's actually on three screens, I think. So, um, can y'all see that once you stood up? Can y'all see the bottom? Okay. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not fully loved our neighbors as ourselves, We have not always had in us the mind of Christ. You alone know how often we have grieved you by wasting your gifts, by wandering from your ways. Forgive us, we pray you, most merciful Father, and free us from our sin. Renew in us the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. I'll just take a few seconds, and if there's something specific that God brings to your mind, you just confess it in your heart to him.
now know that whatever you've confessed, something that may seem trivial or something that may seem extraordinarily significant, the Bible clearly states all of those things. Anything that you confess to him, he is forgiven. He's cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You can come forward and receive from him with a clear conscience and with joy in your heart. In Jesus' name. Thank you.